very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And our saying here is that, and our mission is to help each other help us all. And if anybody would like to get in contact with Can Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com or you can find us over on Twitter at canprojects1. That's C-A-N Projects 1. Welcome back to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And I'm your host, Shane McKay, and we got a lovely, lovely show with another reading from Chris Sneed, The Wind of the Willows. Hello, and welcome back to part five of The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. The mole hobbled up to the spot and had a good look. Well, he said at last slowly, I see it right enough. Seen the same sort of thing before, lots of times. Familiar object, I call it. A door scraper. Well, what of it? Why dance jigs round the door scraper? Don't you know what it means, you dull-witted animal? Cried the rat impatiently. Of course I see what it means, replied the mole. It simply means that some very careless, forgetful person has left his door scraper lying about in the middle of the wild woods, just where you are sure to trip up everybody. Very thoughtless of him, I call it. When I get home, I shall go out and complain about it to somebody or other. See if I don't. Oh dear, oh dear, cried the rat in desperation at his obtruseness. Here, stop arguing and come and scrape. And he set to work again and made the snow fly in all directions around him. After some further toil, his efforts were rewarded with a very shabby doormat lay exposed to view. There, what did I tell you? exclaimed the rat in great triumph. Absolutely nothing whatsoever, replied the mole with perfect truthfulness. Well now, he went on, you seem to have found another piece of domestic litter, done for and thrown away, and I suppose you're perfectly happy. Better go ahead and dance your jig round it, if that's what you've got to do, and get over it. And perhaps we can go on and not waste any more time over rubbish heaps. Can we eat a doormat? Or sleep under a doormat? Or sit on a doormat and sledge home over the snow? You exasperating rodents. Do you mean to say, cried the excited rat, that this doormat doesn't tell you anything? Really, rat, said the mole quite pettishly. I think we've had enough of this folly. Who ever heard of a doormat telling anyone anything? They simply don't do it. They're not that sort of at all. Doormats know their place. Now look here, you thick-headed beast, replied the rat, really angry. This must stop. Not another word, but scrape, scrape and scratch and dig and hunt round, especially on the sides of these hummocks. If you want to sleep dry and warm tonight, for it's our last chance. The rat attacked the snowbank beside them 
with ardor, probing with his cudgel everywhere and then digging with fury. And the mole scraped busily too, more to oblige the rat than for any other reason. For his opinion was that this friend was getting lightheaded. Some ten minutes hard work and the point of rat's cudgel struck something that sounded hollow. He worked till he could get a paw through and feel, then called the mole to come and help him. Hard at it they went, the two animals, till at last the result of their labour stood full in view of the astonished and hereto incredulous mole. In the side of what had seemed to be a snowbank stood a solid-looking little door, painted a dark green. An iron bell pole hung by the side, and below it, on a small brass plate, neatly engraved in square capital letters, they could read by the aid of the moonlight, Mr. Badger. The mole fell backwards onto the snow from sheer surprise and delight. Rat! he cried in penitence. You're a wonder, a real wonder. That's what you are. I see it all now. You argued it out step by step in that wise head of yours, and from the very moment that I fell and cut my shin, and you looked at the cut, and at once your majestic mind said to itself, Door scraper. And then you turned to and found the very door scraper that done it. Did you stop there? No, some people would have been quite satisfied. But not you. Your intellect went on working. Let me just find a doormat, says you to yourself. And my theory is proved. And of course you found the doormat. You're so clever. I believe you could find anything you liked. Now, says you, that door exists as plain as if I saw it. There's nothing else remains to be done but to find it. Well, I've read about that sort of thing in books, but I've never come across it before in real life. You ought to go where you'll be properly appreciated. You're simply wasted here among us fellows. If only I had your head, Ratty. But as you haven't, interrupted Rat rather unkindly, I suppose you're going to sit on the snow all night and talk. Get up at once and hang on that door pull you see there, and ring as hard as you can while I hammer. While the rat attacked the door with his stick, the mole sprang up at the bell pull, clutched it and swung there, both feet very well off the ground. And from quite a long way off, they could hear faintly a deep-toned bell responding. Chapter 4 Mr. Badger They waited patiently for what seemed a very long time, stamping in the snow to keep their feet warm. At last they heard the sound of slow, shuffling footsteps approaching the door from the inside. It seemed, as the mole remarked to the rat, like someone walking in carpet slippers that were too large for him, and down at heel, which was intelligent of mole, because that's exactly what it was. There was a noise of a bolt being shot back, and the door opened a few inches, enough to show a long snout and a pair of sleepy, blinking eyes. No, no, the very next time this happens said a gruff and suspicious voice. I shall be exceedingly angry. Who is at this time disturbing people on such a night? Speak up! Oh, Badger! cried the rat. Let us in, please. It's me, Rat. And my friend Mole. We've lost our way in the snow. What, Ratty? My dear little man! exclaimed the Badger, in quite a different voice. Come along in, both of you, at once. Why, you must be perished. Well, I never. Lost in the snow. And in the wild wood too, at this time of night. But come in, come in with you. The two animals tumbled over each other in their eagerness to get inside and heard the door shut behind them with great joy and relief. The badger who wore a long dressing gown and whose slippers were indeed very down at heel carried a flat candlestick in his paw and he had probably been on his way to bed when he heard the summons at the door. He looked kindly down on them and patted both on their heads. 
This is not the sort of night for animals to be out, he said paternally. I'm afraid you've been up to some of your pranks again, Ratty. But come along, come into the kitchen. There's a first-rate fire in there and supper and everything. He shuffled out in front of them, carrying the light, and they followed him, nudging each other in an anticipating sort of way, down a long, gloomy, and to tell the truth, decidedly shabby passage, into a sort of central hall, out of which they could dimly see other long tunnel passages, branching passages, mysterious and without apparent end. But there were doors in the hall as well, stout oak and comfortable-looking doors. One of these the badger flung open, and at once they found themselves in all the glow and warmth of a large fire-lit kitchen. The floor was well-worn red brick, on a wide hearth burnt a fire of logs. Between two attractive chimney corners, tucked away in the wall, and well out of any suspicious draught, a couple of high-backed settees faced each other on either side of the fire, gave further sitting accommodation for the socially disposed. In the middle of the room stood a long table of plain boards placed on trestles, with benches down each side. At one end of it, where an armchair stood pushed back, were spread the remains of Badger's plain but ample supper. Rows of spotless plates winked from the shelves of the dresser. At the far end of the room, and from the rafters overhead, hung hams, bundles of dried herbs, nets of onions, and baskets of eggs. It seemed a place where heroes could fitly feast after victory, where weary harvesters could line up in scores along the table and keep their harvest home with mirth and song, or where two or three friends of simple taste could sit about as they pleased, eat and smoke and talk in comfortable contentment. The ruddy brick floor smiled, could eat and smoke and talk in comfortable contentment. The ruddy brick floor smiled up at the smoky ceiling, the oaken sittles shiny with long wear exchanged cheerful glances with each other. Plates on the dresser grinned at pots on the shelf and a merry firelight flickering and played along everything without distinction. The kindly badger thrust them down on the settee to toast themselves at the fire and bade them remove their wet coats and boots. Then he fetched them dressing gowns, slippers and himself bathed the mole's shin with warm water and mended a cut with sticking plaster till the whole thing was just as good as new, if not better. In the embracing light and warmth, warm and dry at last, and with weary legs propped up in front of them, and a suggestive clink of plates being arranged on the table behind, it seemed to the storm-driven animals, now in safe anchorage, that the cold and trackless wild woods just left outside was miles and miles away, and all that they had suffered in it seemed a half-forgotten dream. Okay, we'll take a little break here for a second, and I'll be back to you shortly. And you're very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And if you'd like to get in touch with Can Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. And please, if you can, remember to help each other help us all. Welcome back. When at last they were thoroughly toasted, the badger summoned them to the table, where he had been busy laying a repast. They had felt pretty hungry before, but when they actually saw at last, at last the supper that was spread for them, really it seemed only a question of what they should attack first. All was so attractive, and whether the other things would obligingly wait for them till they had time to give them attention. 
conversation was impossible for a long time. And when it slowly resumed, it was that regrettable sort of conversation that results from talking with your mouthful. The badger did, mind, did not mind at all this sort of thing, nor did he take any notice of elbows on the table or everybody speaking at once. As he did not go into society himself, he had got an idea that these things belonged to the things that didn't really matter. We know, of course, that he was wrong and took too narrow a view because they do matter very much, though it would take too long to explain why. He sat in his armchair at the head of the table and nodded gravely at intervals as the animals told their story, and he did not seem surprised or shocked or anything, and he never said, I told you so, or just what I always say, or remarked that they ought to have done so-and-so, or ought not to have done something else. The mole began to feel very friendly towards him. When supper was really finished at last, and each animal felt that his skin was now as tight as was decently safe, and that by this time he didn't care a hang for anybody or anything, they gathered round the glowing embers of the great wood fire, and thought how jolly it was to be sitting up so late, so independent, and so full. And after they had chatted for a time about things in general, the badger said heartily, Now then, tell us the news from your part of the world. How's old Toad getting on? Oh, from bad to worse, said the rat gravely, while the mole cocked up on the settee and basking in the firelight, his heels higher than his head, tried to look properly mournful. Another smash-up only last week, and a bad one, you see. He will insist on driving himself, and he's hopelessly incapable. If only he'd employ a decent, steady, well-trained animal and pay him good wages and leave everything to him, he'd get on all right. But no, he's convinced he's a heaven-born driver and nobody can teach him anything, and all the rest follows. How many has he had? inquired the badger gloomily. Smashes our machines? asked the rat. Oh well, after all, it's all the same thing with Toad. This is a seventh. As for the others, you know, the coach house of his, well, it's piled up, literally piled up to the roof with fragments of motor cars, none of them bigger than your hat. That accounts for the other six, as far as they can be accounted for. He's been in the hospital three times, put in the mole. And as for fines he has to pay, it's simply awful to think of. Yes, and that's the part of the trouble, continued the rat. Toad's rich, we all know, but he's not a millionaire, and he's a hopelessly bad driver, and quite regardless of law and order. Killed or ruined, it's got to be one of those two things sooner or later, Badger. We're his friends, oughtn't we do something? The Badger went through a bit of hard thinking. Now you look here, he said at last, rather severely. Of course you know I can't do anything now. His two friends assented, quite understanding his point. No animal, according to the rules of animal etiquette, is ever expected to do anything strenuous or heroic or even moderately active during the off-season of winter. All are sleepy. Some actually sleep. All are weather-bound, more or less. And all are resting from arduous days and nights, during which every muscle in them has been severely tested and every energy has to energy kept at full stretch. Very well, then continued the badger. But when once the year has really turned and the nights are shorter and halfway through them, one rouses and feels fidgety and wanting to be up and doing by sunrise. If not before, you know. Both animals nodded gravely. They knew. Well then, went on the badger. We, that is, you and me and our friend Mole here, we'll take Toad seriously in hand 
We'll stand no nonsense whatsoever. We'll bring him back to reason by force if need be. We'll make him be a sensible toad. Well, you're asleep, rat. It's not me, said the rat, waking up with a jerk. He's been asleep two or three times since supper, said the mole, laughing. He himself was feeling quite wakeful and even lively, though he didn't know why. The reason was, of course, that he being naturally an underground animal by birth and breeding, the situation of Badger's house exactly suited him and made him feel at home, while the rat, who slept every night in a bedroom, the windows of which opened on a breezy river, naturally felt the atmosphere still and oppressive. Well, it's time we're all in bed, said the badger, getting up and fetching a flat candlesticks. Come along, you two, and I'll show you to your quarters, and take your time tomorrow morning, breakfast at any hour you please. He conducted the two animals to a long room that seemed half bedchamber and half loft. The badger's winter stores, which indeed were visible everywhere, took up half the room. Piles of apples, turnips and potatoes, baskets full of nuts and jars of honey. But the two little white beds on the remainder of the floor looked soft and inviting. And the linen on them, though coarse, was clean and smelt beautifully of lavender. And the mole and the water rat shaking off their garments in some thirty seconds tumbled between the sheets in great joy and contentment. In accordance with the kindly badger's instructions, the two tired animals came down to breakfast very late the next day, and found a bright fire burning in the kitchen, and two young hedgehogs sitting on a bench at the table eating oatmeal porridge out of wooden bowls. The hedgehogs dropped their spoons, rose to their feet, took their heads respectfully as the two entered. There, there, sit down, sit down, said the rat pleasantly, and go on with your porridge. Where have you two youngsters come from? Lost your way in the snow, I suppose. Yes, please, sir said the elder of the two hedgehogs respectfully. Me and little Billy here was trying to find our way to school. Mother would have us go, was the weather ever so. And of course we lost ourselves, sir. And Billy, he got frightened and took to crying, being young and faint-hearted. At last we happened up against Mr. Badger's back door and made so bold as to knock, sir. But Mr. Badger, he's a kind-hearted gentleman and everybody knows this. I understand, said the rat, cutting himself some rashers from a side of bacon while the mole dropped some eggs into a saucepan. And what's the weather like outside? And you needn't stir me quite so much, he added. Oh, terrible bad, sir. Terrible deep the snow is, said the hedgehog. No going out for the likes of you gentlemen today. Where's Mr. Badger? inquired the mole, as he had warmed the coffee pot before the fire. The master's gone into his study, sir, replied the hedgehog. And he said, as how he was going to be particular busy this morning, and on no account was he to be disturbed. This explanation, of course, was thoroughly understood by everyone present. The fact is, as already set forth, when you live a life of intense activity for six months of the year, and a comparative or actual solemnance for the other six, during the latter period, you cannot be continually pleading sleeping, sleeplessness when there are people about or things to be done. The excuse gets monotonous. The animals well knew that Badger, having eaten the hearty breakfast, had retired to his study and settled himself in an armchair with his legs up on another and a red cotton handkerchief over his face and was being busy in the usual sort of way for this time of year. The front door bell clanged loudly and the rat, who was very greasy with butter toast, sent Billy the smaller hedgehog to see who it might be. There was a sound of much stamping in the hallway and presently Billy returned in front of the otter, who threw himself on the rat with an embrace and shout of affectionate greeting. Get off, spluttered the rat with his mouth full. I thought I should find you here all right, said the otter cheerfully. They were all in a great state of alarm along the river bank when I arrived this morning. 
Rat's never been home all night, nor Mole either. Something dreadful must have happened, they said. And the snow has covered up all your tracks, of course. But I knew that when people were in any fix, they mostly went to Badger. Or else the Badger got to know of it somehow. And so I came straight here. Through the wild wood and the snow. My, it was fine coming through the snow as the red sun was rising and showing against the black tree trunks. As you went along in the stillness, every now and then, and the masses of snow slid off branches suddenly with a flop, making you jump and run for cover. Snow castles and snow caverns had sprung up out of nowhere in the night. Snow bridges, snow terraces, snow ramparts. I could have stayed and played with them for hours. Here and there, great branches had been torn out by the sheer weight of the snow, and robins perched and hopped on them in their perky, conceited way, just as if they had done it themselves. A ragged string of wild geese passed overhead, high in the grey sky, and a few rooks whirled over the trees, inspected and flapped off homewards with a disgusted expression. But I met no sensible being to ask any news of. About halfway across, I came across a rabbit sitting on a stump cleaning his silly face with his paws. He was a pretty scared animal when I crept up behind him and placed a heavy forepaw on his shoulder. I had to cuff his head once or twice to get any sense out of him at all. At last I managed to extract from him that the mole had been seen in the wild wood late last night by one of them. It was a talk of all the burrows, he said. How mole, Mr. Rat's particular friend, was in a bad fix. How he had lost his way. And they were up and out hunting and shivying him round and round. Then why didn't any of you do something? asked. You may be blessed with brains, but there are hundreds and hundreds of you, you big stout fellows, as fat as butter, and your burrows running in all directions, and you could have taken him in and made him safe and comfortable, or tried to at all events. What us? he merely said. Do something, us rabbits? So I cuffed them once again and left. There was nothing else to be done, at any rate. I had learned something, and if I had to look... To meet any of them, I'd have learned something more. Or they would. Weren't you at all uh, nervous? Asked the mole. Some of yesterday's terror coming back to him at the mention of the wild wood. Nervous? The otter showed a gleaming set of strong white teeth as he laughed. I'd give him nerves if any of them tried anything on me. Here, mole, fry me some slices of ham. Like a good little chap you are. I'm frightfully hungry. And I've got any of mount to say to Ratty here. Haven't seen him for ages. Well, we'll leave it there for now. And be sure to come back for the next part of The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Thanks for listening. Bye now. That's great, Chris. Thanks so much for reading this. So everybody, Bye. listen, keep well. And as we like to say around here, help each other, help us all. And the Calm Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com and you'll find a link to the Can Projects website in the description. All the best.